Hello and welcome to the IntraFish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. Time for just a couple of stories to discuss this week. It's been an insane week from the Norway salmon tax proposal to uh, continued fallout from the crab sector to... uh, people launching uh, new uh, new items with Pangasius, on and on and on. It's been um, quite a week, and just today alone has been full of, uh, of big breaking news for us. So, uh, yes, so we'll take a breath and we'll just focus on a couple of these. Um, so, some interesting news that's been rolling out from major retailers. Now, it's no surprise everyone's feeling the effect of inflation, uh, and uh, the uh, the seafood industry is, has been um, certainly saying how it's been affecting uh, margins, especially on the, the middlemen side of things. Um, but some really big blinking red lights uh, this week from Walmart and Whole Foods buyers in particular um, uh, at the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute all-hands meeting. Now, they were speaking to an audience of Alaska seafood professionals and, and other buyers um, and really were, uh, were sending a, a pretty dire message to, uh, to the industry. And I, and I felt a, a really honest message to the industry about, uh, about what's happening uh, with uh, seafood sales. And, and the, the biggest um, lead quote that we had on there was that we're reaching a retail ceiling. Now, John, certainly Walmart and Whole Foods is not the only or are not the only retailers that are sending this message. Sometimes that's a, a little bit of a um, of a negotiating tactic. Uh, I don't think it is this time around. What's your your take? No, I, I don't think it is at all. I think they're reflecting what they're seeing in their stores. And really, it's consistent with what we've been reporting here for the better part of this of this year, particularly the second half of the year, as inflation has really, um, you know, sunk in and and is going to be here for a bit, it appears. But um, you'll remember, I want to take everybody back to uh, 2020 after COVID, um, after the early days of COVID. So we're in the later part of 2020 and. Uh, we noticed from all the data that seafood sales, particularly at retail because food service was shut down, soared. I mean, soared. And <laughs> whether it was canned, frozen, or fresh, and there was this um, exuberance, so to speak, that we had crossed a new bar and that these gains, although brought on by COVID and the need for people to stay home and not go out to restaurants, um, we're going to stay. We we were these were permanent for the uh, for the most part. All all the while, we and everybody else w- was questioning that: Will these stay? And you know, we talked to some of the biggest leaders in this industry who believed they would, and retailers too. Um, but here we are, and um, they didn't stay um, for the most part. They have fallen back uh, very close to uh, 2019 levels in mo- in many many cases, and um, 
we've got inflation bearing down even more. Some people see a recession coming. I, I don't know. I'm not an economist. I can't tell. But um, we know for sure that uh, your grocery bill is a heck of a lot higher today than it was uh, four months ago, whatever it may be. And I mean, just just think of how you behave, right? I mean, I go to the store. I, I think I may have said this before. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. I, I went to the store like four weeks in a row and a regular thing of mayonnaise was like $8. And I just refused to buy it because I say like, I will not pay $8 for mayonnaise. And finally it came down one week. It was on sale. So I, I bought couple of them just to have some but but that's the way consumers are they only have so much money and if they go and they see what they perceive to be expensive seafood versus inexpensive chicken we tend to lose that uh equation every single time you know, it's really interesting. The, uh, the seafood buyer that that spoke, senior buyer with Fresh Seafood for Walmart, John Steinmetz, who's been around in a lot of different roles over the years. Um, but I, I really like what he said. It kind of sums it up uh, of saying that consumers are voting with their wallet. You know, they're they're really telling Walmart and all these other retailers what they want now. One of the biggest things they're seeing, and we've written about this certainly in, in Europe, where uh, where private label is much more prominent than it is in the United States, um, but there is a trading down to different products, different um, different species. Um, that's been kind of one of the interesting interesting trends. But uh, there was a couple of of species in particular. Uh, that uh, are really starting to hurt. Uh, crab is one, no no secret there, that there isn't a lot of crab on the market, but there is a lot of snow crab available uh, and pasteurized crab meat. And those were two that were uh, people were trading down uh, for. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very interesting to see how this behavior uh, shifts and what it tells us. Now, I think, I think the biggest um, sort of, I guess you could say uh, flashing light for the industry to pay attention to, or one of them, certainly in the UK and uh, Europe, is uh, an interview that our colleague Dominic Welling did with Mitsubishi, uh, subsidiary of Mitsubishi, Prince's. Prince's is one of the, the major canned, uh, canned seafood suppliers into the UK. Um, and in an interview with, uh, with Neil Bohannon, he's the group director for seafood at Prince's, um, he had a lot to say about the kinds of uh, behavior changes that they're seeing. What I thought was fascinating was that in research they had done uh, together with the market analysts that canned seafood sales, uh, uh, their tuna chunk uh, item is up by 30% year on year and are now at the same, at higher levels, at the same or higher levels uh, can seafood sales that, that that is, as they were at the height of the pandemic. So if you think about that, the height of the pandemic, there were a lot of factors. There there was not only economic fear, there was fear that you were going to be able to find your your food. There was a run on tuna and toilet paper, if we all recall. Uh, maybe we all just want to forget <laughs> about it. But um, but th- think about the factors that led to that growth. 
uh, and canned seafood sales uh, during that period. And then think about what that means now that the move toward canned seafood has gone up to even higher than then uh, than that time. That just says to me right there that people are indeed trading down. Bohannon also said that they're seeing that that trade down from branded to private label. Mitsubishi does a lot of private label canned as well. So if you're in the canned sector, you're you're um, you know you're you're seeing sales rise. I mean, he was quick to say that well you know, tuna prices are now at five-year highs, and they're certainly facing other inflationary pressures, so it's not like they're raking in the money. Um, but anyway, I think that's a really, really um, important uh, message to pay attention to. One other that I'll, I'll mention that, uh, that was interesting uh, in the UK, uh, UK press, um, or rather in the, in the UK market, was uh, the UK supermarket chain Waitrose. Now, Waitrose is... Um, it's not quite a Whole Foods, um, but it's up there in that area. In terms, for those of you that haven't shopped there, it's uh, it's a pretty high-end uh, retail chain. So they have an annual food and drink report where they kind of update their customers on what's been selling, what's been not selling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> and one of the funny little lines in there was that uh, sales of fish heads, fish heads we're up 36%. Now, it still could be, a, I, it absolutely will be a very, very small volume. It's That's not a, a item that they showcase. But again, it's one more little data point that I think the, the is showing um, that uh, consumers are beginning to change behaviors. And, and as you said, John, we've been talking about this, writing about this, covering this for uh, the whole year. Um, and, and, and tracking it closely, but it does feel a little bit now like we are close to hitting some kind of turning point here where people are, in fact, backing away um, from those prices and, and trading down. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's the interesting point. The more uh, the, the point is where are we where are we going now, right? So, when people go to the grocery store, they make value decisions. I'll buy this over this because I value this more. You know, in the protein department, it's not like seafood is the only protein that that has been affected by inflation. I mean, meat prices were extremely high and still are high most of this year. And chicken has come down lately, but that was high as well. So... You know, you take those three. You got three options. Um, it, it, it the the value is the question to me. And Bobby Cirillo, um, director of seafood for Wakefern, one of a, a large retail chain here in the U.S., he spoke at the Global Seafood Alliance Gold Conference in Seattle in October, and that's what he he pointed to right out. You know, as kind of the big thing, he said, customers are finding less and less value in seafood. And I think that's the crux of it. You know, we had this beautiful period where we got people all jacked up and hooked up on seafood uh, thanks to COVID. But it doesn't seem like we were able to convince them of the of the ongoing value of this product. And 
that surprises me. That confuses me. But I think that's kind of where we're going. And, you know, now we even have food service back in play. Um, restaurants are open, uh, albeit uh, limited hours in most cases because of labor shortages, etc. But what's happening there? Well, they don't have the staff. They don't have the trained staff, so they narrowed their menus. Well, when they narrow a seafood menu, they usually narrow it to this. Salmon, shrimp, and fish and chips of some variety. That tends to be where where things go to. So that's a problem unto itself, too, because, um, you know, that universe gets narrowed and um, that doesn't help sales of other seafood uh, that are, you know, hanging out there <laughs> waiting to be consumed and not being consumed at retail either, perhaps. So, yeah, the question for me is where like six months from now, let's let's just assume. Well, I don't want to assume anything, but assume for a second that inflation gets back under control a little bit and things are a little better six months from now. Does anybody listening believe that seafood's just going to do an about face and start soaring again at retail? Does anybody think that? I, I, I don't personally. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know. What do you think? You think that's going to happen? John.Fiorillo at Intrafish.com if you want to email John and, and, and at any point if you want to email John and say anything negative um, his is the email to send send that to so um, no do, do I think so John I, I mean I uh, you know I look at species like shrimp and look at the um, how important that species is in retail and food service and I think it's you're seeing this the, the prices that are um, that that farm shrimp are fetching and, and that are uh, that retailers are asking for they're reaching astronomical levels um, for a product that should be and has been marketed I think by the seafood industry for several years as kind of the the easiest um, most inoffensive uh, seafood. Um, and, and a, an alternative to, uh, uh, to to chicken and, and some of the other uh, proteins out there. And when that starts reaching a level where you're looking at uh, at, at dropping you know high double digit uh, amounts of, of spend on that as a consumer for a couple pounds, it, uh, it it does it does it does get to be um, a really a really difficult choice or maybe I should say an easy choice for a consumer to make to say you know I'm gonna skip over to um, again something that's more affordable and that tends to be uh, the poultry uh, aisle or uh, you know ground beef or, or other items like that so you know I, I think that um, I think it is going to probably get worse before things get better. I think that there, it appears there's a retail ceiling that will push its way back down the supply chain uh, for sure, coming at a time when inflation is, is so high. Now, I I speak about uh, the whole fish, um, frozen fish um, scenario when I say that. Because what is seeming to have resili- resilience right now is, of course, there's the can sector. But 
interesting um, strength in branded frozen value-added food. Um, so you saw uh, Highliner, for example, uh, the Canadian seafood processor, had its sixth quarter of uh, positive earnings, um, which just shows there is, with the right value-added option, there is a market out there. There, there You can convince some consumers, and you, you certainly can convince food, so, uh, food service buyers um, you know, to, to trade to those things. So that may be a little light in the tunnel there, is that it, it may be uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and there can be some creative things that can be done um to to make seafood a little more attractive from a from a price point and just from a you know from a value standpoint where people feel like they're getting a little bit more yeah i mean i i agree i always feel that you know innovation is still out there to be exploited by this industry and you know often it comes in tough times like these and um that that might be the case here it's um yeah it's just it's tough to ballpark but i just I, I struggle with with the fact that it doesn't seem we can build inherent value in the consumer's mind as as it pertains to seafood so i don't know i don't know why that is but um somebody will figure it out Yeah, eventually. Um, Let's talk about that trade down a little bit because, you know, one of the trends we've been tracking really closely uh, has been the the species switch in the whitefish sector Um, from Russian whitefish, which obviously with the sanctions and just the general sort of uh, radioactive nature of Russian products, that's figurative, it's not literal, um, that buyers in the the Western world, at least, are, are beginning to to seek out alternatives. And one of the big winners, uh, which actually is a double win, um, is Pangasius, also called Bassa uh, in the UK and also called Swai in the US. And it's got a lot of other uh, trade names, but it's a, a farmed Vietnamese freshwater catfish. And it's cheap, or it has historically been cheap. Um, and uh, people are seeing now, hey, I, I need to back away from Russian whitefish, uh, and I've got to find an alternative. And there have not really been any viable alternatives. I mean, if you want to stop purchasing Russian Pollock and you think, oh, I can just go to the Americans. No, the Americans are really focusing on the domestic market, um, and a lot of their product is already spoken for. Um, if you want to go to uh, other cod suppliers, same issue you know norway's when when you when you go into a a year uh, and you go into a fishing season you know companies already know pretty darn well where their product is going to go so it's not like you're trading fish on a spot market you know when you are harvesting tens of thousands of metric tons of cod you already have a buyer in mind for that so it's it's certainly not simple um to just completely change direction of where you're going from a, a supply point of view. Uh, and we've seen that with a lot of people struggling. Now, Bird's Eye Igloo, which is owned by a company called Nomad Foods, Bird's Eye Igloo is, is a, you know, they, they now are uh, just massive because they have all these major uh, European frozen uh, fish brands. Um, and, and so they purchase a, a load of whitefish in particular for, um, for those markets. 
And, you know, they and their rival Young Seafood in the UK, um, they've been in an, in an interesting and difficult position because there is there is a a duty on uh russian direct russian imports of uh white fish into the uk um they can still import it via uh, china just like everywhere they can import it via china so if you catch russian russian fish process it process it in china you can pretty much get to any market you want still but you know, people are wise to that, and if your company's going out and making commitments and, and trying to make a stand against uh, Russia's activities in Ukraine, um, then you are going to have to answer to a board and answer to consumer hotlines, etc., etc. And so you can see Bird's Eye certainly has, uh, has, has made that decision. Um, now they won't be able to step away from it wholesale immediately, uh, I don't think. Um, but they did announce that they reached some deals. They just announced this a couple of weeks ago. They reached some deals uh, with a few Vietnamese producers uh, to supply Pangasius. Um, and again, it's called Bassa in the, in the UK, or they call it Bassa. And, you know, the interesting thing about Pangasius is that the the time from egg to market for growing uh, Pangasius in Viet, in Vietnam or well, anywhere, just the nature of the fish, is so short that you can ramp up the volume from egg to market of your fish. So from when you get your eggs until it's market size, it is a very, very short turnaround time. Um, not like salmon, where salmon is 18 months. Pangasius is much shorter. And so you can very, very quickly ramp up production. And this has been sort of a problem for Vietnam is a couple decades ago, Pangasius kind of got quote unquote discovered um, by uh, several Western and Eastern markets. And there was a, a really a gold rush among farmers to put fish in the water. It's still primarily farmed by small uh, farmers who then sell their products to processors is not the same kind of vertical integration that you see in uh, maybe other uh, other operations, although that's changing, I think. But it's very interesting because it's suddenly uh, this kind of sleeper fish that it, it, it's now going to be in uh, demand for blocks, which are used for fish fingers and used for fish fillets and things. Um, it as we dug in more, there's all this work that's been happening in the background to create uh, surimi supply out of Pangasius. So it's almost been like it's been sleeping there, kind of waiting for a moment like this. And really, the faucet could turn on, and we could see Pangasius boom again in a big, big way. Um, and John, I know you remember as well as I do, kind of when Pangasius really started exploding on the markets on global markets and that would be i don't know 15 20 years ago that it really exploded and just went from nothing to you know a million metric tons it was crazy yeah yeah and it appeared on uh, favorite seafood lists here and elsewhere so yeah I, I i do think there's a there's a throttle on this though because Pangasius doesn't necessarily perform like the whitefish you you were speaking of, pollock, cod, those types. 
there can be, and I'm not saying there is, uh, but there can be an off taste to it. And this is common with catfish around the world. So while while these companies that you mentioned, Bird's Eye, uh, et cetera, have, have taken on Pangasius kind of out of desperation just because of uh, Russia and uh, supply uh, drop off there, um, they haven't done a lot with it. I mean, the numbers, I can't remember the numbers from the article, but the contracts were like a thousand metric tons here and a thousand metric, which, you know, it's still a thousand metric tons. But it, when I read that, it felt to me like, okay, dip toe in water, see what happens. Because if, you know, if I go and I get a, a fish stick made from this or whatever it may be, and it has that, and I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, that muddy flavor, mm, I, I don't think I'm going back and buying another pack of those. So while I totally agree that on the production side in Vietnam, this will likely lead to a massive um, ramp up in production. I'm not so sure that that's going to be long, sustained long term on the buy side, unless this fish can really perform at a at a fairly high level. It doesn't have to be cod, doesn't have to be pollock, but it has to be darn darn close. Well, you know, it's interesting because Pangasius. Um, there's kind of two things that happen here with freshwater whitefish, um, and this. I think certification by the Aquaculture Stewardship Council in particular has been really beneficial. Um, but tilapia really got dragged through the mud in the United States mm, five, six, seven years ago. It's been a long time. Massive social media campaigns. It just went viral. Um, and it hit it very, very hard. Um, at least the industry felt like it did. And there there was a dip there. Um but, you know, I, I don't know that the, the general consumer, I, I think the memory that, that a consumer has, even from watching a TikTok video to actually being in the store, is there's not a, a direct continuum necessarily. Um, they may thumbs up and say, oh, gross, I'm never going to eat this fish again. But then they go to a, a restaurant and they'll order that fish and there was some recent statistics uh by the alaska um uh, the genuine alaska pollock producers uh, it's a trade association for u.s pollock uh, uh, harvesters and processors and what really surprised me is you know they're trying to get the the term the name the trade name wild alaska pollock more known and so they did some surveys and found that tilapia is still very well known among u.s consumers and still thought of in a pretty positive light, which shocked me. Um, but in Europe, uh, Pangasius has had that same experience. Um, in particular, Germany, there's been some uh, some press uh, documentaries in Germany and France and, um, and other countries that have really, really hit the reputation of that fish very hard. But, you know, um, these are resilient fish. And in times when consumers need protein need fish uh and don't have the money they they'll try these these fish out and pangasius has been very popular in europe for a long long time 
you see it in you know in the frozen bag, frozen fillets and bags quite often. It hasn't been as common in a value-added setting uh, like like we're seeing with Bird's Eye uh, or Young's. Uh, Young's has been launching some products and doing a little bit more prior to Bird's Eye. Um, people have kind of you know as you said, John, dipped their toe in the water, and I think. Over the years, there have been quality issues that have had people step away from them. And you're absolutely right. That flavor is, it's an issue. It continues to be an issue. Um, I believe, we actually are going to be reporting on a story on this soon, so stay tuned. But I believe that it is the same, uh, it, it's the same off flavor uh, that that affects land-based salmon, uh, which is this, this uh, it's called geosmine. So it's not a, you know, it's not anything that harms consumers. It just has, as you said, John, this kind of muddy, moldy flavor, and sometimes it's so subtle. But when uh, when you're eating these products, uh, you can taste it, and it's enough to feel like, oh God, did I just eat moldy fish? You know, and then you have a consumer panicking. Um, and you better believe that fish fingers are one of those too, where they are typically marketed, tend to skew towards fish fingers slash fish sticks, tend to be marketed toward younger, uh, consumers, kids. And the whole point of fish fingers is you don't really taste the fish at all. Um, and so if you're eating that and you taste a little bit of mud, Hey, I don't blame a five-year-old for spitting it out. So that uh boy bird's eye igloo and young's better have a and any others that launch it better have a really good qc department well i mean the other thing though you hit on earlier and this is kind of the silver lining in all this is i don't know how much pangasius is produced globally but it's a lot and as you mentioned they can crank this up pretty quickly because the growth period of time is short if this russian situation persists for a long time that's a million metric uh, how many metric tons is that i don't even recall how much pollock they catch but um it's a lot of fish that is kind of in limbo in the market and it's has literally gone from some of the the major markets as we know so the the door that Pangasius can walk through right now is great if the product can deliver, you know, the quality that that it would need to deliver. And long term, the longer the Russian situation continues, Pangasius has a chance to really eat away at some market share there. Um, in the best case scenario, will it? I don't know, but you know. It, it has an opportunity now, a really, really big opportunity. All right, let's wrap it up there. Remember that you can find coverage of these topics and a whole lot more at intrafish.com. When you get on the site, you can sign up for one of our newsletters. You can also download our free app from the App Store or Google Play, and that's a great way to keep up with all our coverage as well. Thanks for joining us, and we will speak to you next time.